0: This is Terms of Reference podcast number one hundred and seventy.
1: We combine what is coming from the farmers with what is coming from the senses, and then we come up with a prediction. And this prediction is different from what we are used to. It does not tell farmers things like the rainfall will be near normal because they don't know what that is. It tells them that the fact that the ants have been seen walking in a straight line and the fact that the temperatures have reached very high. We don't tell them 30 degrees. That doesn't resonate with them. Then the effect is that it will rain in two days. Those of us who have not planted, you need to plant. And we can also tell the amount of rainfall will not be enough to sustain your usual crops this year. So you may have to plant things like sweet potatoes or just traditional vegetables. So it's comprehensive information we're giving the farmers.
0: This is Terms of Reference. I'm your host, Stephen Laddick. When you think about innovation, you think about the future, right? At least, that's what I think about. My mind is usually filled with things like flying cars or holographic displays in a moneyless world. But I know, that's just the super geek talking. Innovation's really about solving an old problem in a different way. But the reason I bring up the future is that typically when I speak to those interested in innovation, they're focused on how we use new and even sometimes yet to be invented technologies, processes, and options to solve the issues at hand. Today's guest for the 170th episode of the Terms of Reference podcast, Mutoni Masindi, is also a future thinker, but she also remembers and knows how to honor the past. Her invention that we discuss on this episode, an innovation to detect drought, combines the latest in sensor and mobile technologies with the indigenous knowledge of local farmers. I'm sure you're going to love this episode where we talk about her invention, it's called Itiki, but also about her path from Kenya, where she was born, to become an inventor and head at the Department of Innovation Technology at the Central University of Technology in South Africa. I spoke with Matoni in South Africa. But before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor. The Terms of Reference podcast is sponsored by International Solutions Group helping to improve the social impact of governments, UN agencies, NGOs, and companies for more than 10 years. Visit ISG online at www.theisg.com. Hello, Mutoni. Thank you so much for being on the Terms of Reference podcast today.
1: Hello, Stephen. I'm happy to be with you in the show today. Thank you.
0: Mutoni, we have a fantastic connection. You sound like you are literally sitting right next door to me, even though we're on different parts of the planet right now. And I know, I have to tell all of our listeners this, that you have just made an extraordinary effort to get up at the crack of dawn so that we do have this great internet connection. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. Mutoni, you're a professor at Central University of Technology in South Africa. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the types of things that you look at in your research at the university there, and then we'll get into why exactly we're talking today.
1: Thank you, Stephen. I currently hand a unit we call Unit for Research on Informatics for Drought in Africa. So basically what we do in that unit is to develop solutions to solve Africa's persistent drought. And we do this using technologies such as wireless sensor networks, mobile phones, and we mix this with indigenous knowledge of our African people.
0: I think that if, you know, and you can correct me, I believe that you have named your technology itiki, or the combination of technologies that you use. Why don't you first tell me if I got that right? And second, can you sort of break down that whole process? Like, how do you combine indigenous knowledge with sensor information? Like, I don't even know how to wrap my brain around that. (laughs)
1: Okay, ITKI. Yes, you got it right. It's an acronym. It stands for Information Technology and Indigenous Knowledge with Intelligence. ITIKI. But it does have a second name. It's actually a traditional bridge. It's used among a lot some group of local people in Kenya to cross from one side of the river to the other. So the whole notion is to ensure that we can be able to bridge what we would call the modern science of weather prediction and drought prediction with indigenous knowledge. So that's why I came up with this concept of a bridge, crossing over from one to the other. And one, one reason why I call it a bridge is because a bridge is two-way. It's not using indigenous knowledge to complement the modern science, neither using modern science to complement indigenous knowledge. It's a bridge. It's a two-way. So we enhanced, we combined the two and came up with something more unique that works for African farmers. Mm,
0: that's gorgeous. I love that. I, I love it when something, you know, indigenous such as Zitiki can be used, you know, in a modern context like that as well to, uh, as your acronym. Dial it back for me in that why drought? Like, you know, I know you're not from South Africa. You're from Kenya originally. Like, why was it that you woke up one day and said, this is my problem? How did you choose drought as your problem?
1: Well, I resonate with the problem because I grew up in the village myself and most of my earlier life I was helping my mother in the farm. So I noticed that she didn't have any source of information that could help her decide when to plant. And I noticed that the only thing she and our neighbors, everyone in my village, everyone across borders did was to observe some indicators, what you call indigenous knowledge. This would mean things like looking at the pattern of the flowering of some trees, looking at how the animals are behaving when they're coming home, looking at the insects. A good example is the dragonfly. It's such a predictor because depending on the height at which it's flying, if it's three f- feet from the ground, it will rain in three weeks. If it's one foot, It will rain in one week. And sometimes it's so accurate that my mother knew it will rain tonight. And then she would start making arrangements. So that motivated me. And later in life, when I pursued careers in computer science, I remembered, now it's possible to harvest the very knowledge I've seen my mother use all these years and combine it with my science. And that's how this whole concept was born.
0: So now take us to the science itself. I'm actually looking at your personal website right now, mutonimasindi.net. And, you know, it looks like something that would be like a Raspberry Pi, kind of a circuit board with, you know, you know obviously two or three <laughs> sensors, maybe four sensors attached to it. One of them looks like a drum. One of them looks like a microphone. Like So walk us through what exactly this whole contraption does.
1: Okay. So- <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: glad you enjoy my description of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like the drum part. Yes. So what I do, I collect the normal data on weather using the sensors. So we are looking at things like atmospheric pressure, temperature, but the more important one is rainfall. And then on the other hand, we work very closely with the farmers. We hand them a mobile phone that has a mobile app where we've already collected and worked with them to build a database of possible indicators. So when they do witness them, wherever they are, they just select on their phone and say, today is 6th of September, I have witnessed the dragonflies. Another farmer on the other side will notice something different. A smaller mango tree is flowering. This means this. So this information, once they save it, comes directly to a database. And looking together with what the senses are saying, then I'm able to predict. So this prediction I'm talking about, is, I'm using artificial intelligence, which is artificial neural networks. Then we combine the, what is coming from the farmers with what is coming from the senses, and then we come up with a prediction. And this prediction is different from what we are used to. It does not tell farmers things like, the rainfall will be near normal because they don't know where that is. It tells them that the fact that the ants have been seen walking in a straight line and the fact that the temperatures have reached very high, we don't tell them 30 degrees, that doesn't resonate with them. Then the effect is that it will rain in two days. Those of us who have not planted, you need to plant. And we can also tell... The amount of rainfall will not be enough to sustain your usual crops this year. So you may have to plant things like sweet potatoes or just traditional vegetables. So it's comprehensive information we're giving the farmers. We even go ahead and translate it to their languages. Mm. And on that website, we are able to, to generate sound files, which can be plain to the farmers who can't read or write. So that's... Holy
0: smokes. That is A whole whole bunch of questions come out of that. When you are receiving this, what is, you know, this is a compliment. It seems like a farmer's almanac, you know, the the farmer who goes out and sort of records every day. Oh, you know, the sun came up now and the rain happened. And here's the answer. So, you know, you have all of these farmers, you know, sending you in this information, which is, it's great. Do you have staff that's listening to all of this information coming in and then doing it manually? Or do you have an automated process for that or?
1: Oh, not every farmer does that. We have what you call champions Mm -hmm. who do it for only specific people. And remember, these phones are smartphones and they're expensive, so we don't give to every farmer. So the the champions, we trust them. And we've asked them because indigenous knowledge like any other knowledge can have errors. It could be that it's only my tree which is flowering and that is not enough to predict. So we ask them to reconcile the knowledge. So it's not an everyday thing. They have to send everything they see. Hmm. So they come up to, the, they have a sitting or they call each other and say, do you think, have you witnessed it? Does it have enough threshold for us to report? So we let them vet it themselves.
0: Are you prompting them in any way to have these meetings? Or, you know, if you haven't heard from one of your <laughs> champions in a while, you say, hey, you know, you send them a message and we haven't heard from you in a couple of weeks or
1: to this moment in time we were running this as a research project so yes we did we're just about to go to the next phase of commercializing so then the approach will be different we'll have to preempt them because the moment people start paying for this we are better get it very right so yes we'll have to (laughs) to preempt them (laughs)
0: <laughs> tell me about that. Yeah. That's I did not know that. That's <laughs> exciting. So this has been in a research project. Obviously, you're a professor. you've been doing this in your lab. You know usually one of the questions I ask on these interviews is what do the next you know two or three years look like for you? So you're embarking on a commercialization project that, so that means taking this, packaging it, figuring out a business model. How are you finding that as you know coming from sort of the research lab? and looking to build a essentially a commercial service. Is this something you're outsourcing to somebody else or are you taking this on?
1: I'm actually taking it on and it's, Good for you. It's not a, nice. <laughs> it's, not a, <laughs> it's not a straight line. But I've prepared myself and run for an MBA. I'm almost done. So, I more or less have an idea how to write a business plan. But more greatly is that I got funding from USAID through their project, Securing Water for Food. So, through that, they're hiring for me a consultant to write a business plan. We have the money to buy the phones and have a whole year to make mistakes with somebody else's money. (laughs) before we start making, generating money. So that's really the boost. It's been the turnaround, 180 degree turn for me, and
0: it's really exciting. Can you give me like one of the, maybe one or two of the biggest lessons that you've learned, both about the predictiveness of what you're doing, so how your analysis, your framework and your analysis, but also just about creating a product like this, you know, like from the time that you sort of had that first idea to now, you've got this essentially this project that you're going to be commercializing. Where have been some of the biggest hiccups that you, you know, we really learned something, you had to change paths?
1: The main challenge is the perception of our farmers. Over the years, they're used to getting earned outs. So everything they get is given to them for free. So to turn around that and ask them, hey, you can pay 10 cents of dollar to receive this, It's been a huge challenge. The second challenge is actually infrastructural. Everything we're trying to develop here, when you sit in our lab, we think in an ideal situation. When you go on the ground, the situation is very different. For example, I assumed that having a 3G connection is something normal. When I went down on the ground, it was completely the opposite. Mm. So it's a huge challenge of uh, people living in the rural areas because the development takes, tends to take place around the towns, around the cities, beyond Three kilometers radius, then everything else becomes a challenge. So those are the two main challenges. Uh, one of them I'm still struggling with, the one of the perception of the farmers. But the other one we found our way around it through our research.
0: What was the I mean, yeah. you, the connectivity issue in rural areas? Is one that's it's endemic to all you know. All development work. What was your solution to that? Have you just have you set up repeaters? Have you worked with the network providers? Are you using more powerful phones or something like that? Or what was your solution to that?
1: are two approaches, we decided to provide them with the phones. Ah, and yes.
0: <laughs> Actually getting them connected. That's a great solution.
1: <laughs> leave them connected. Uh, which, again, might not be sustainable in the long run. But it's are working for now.
0: And tell me about the team that you work with. I'm going to assume that you aren't doing all of this heavy lifting by yourself. Do you have research staff? Do you have, you know, are you basically putting graduate students to work? How much are you cooperating with people in the field in terms of advocating and and getting the message out? Or is it you, you know, getting in a car and driving out?
1: Oh, I must acknowledge I have a huge and supportive team of people. First being a professor, I do have students I supervise. So in this project, I have two PhD students and I also have two master students. On the ground, We I have three project managers because the commercialization is taking place in three countries. It's taking place in South Africa, in Kenya and Mozambique. For each of those three countries, I have project managers on the ground. At the university, we, we have very supportive structures. We're just about to create a spin-off. So that spin-off, we have a finance person helping. We have a manager in terms of business development manager on board. We have a marketing person. So I'm not alone. It's a well-set structure mm. for this rollout. Yes. So
0: I want to get your perspective on, I guess it's not necessarily a sensitive topic, but it's a very specific topic. One of the reasons that we wanted or I wanted to talk with you was because you've recently been awarded the Distinguished Women in Science Award. How much is the fact that you're a woman in South Africa and a South African or a Kenyan woman to begin with, how much has that either presented a challenge or given you opportunities as you pursued this path? Like what's that? Tell us that story.
1: (laughs) It's a huge challenge, not just in Kenya, not just in South Africa, it's in Africa. Because we are grown to become mothers and wives. And for you to break that ceiling, you need some extra motivation. In my case, it came in the form of my father. As much as he was not educated, he did not selectively take us to school. So he would tell us you can be anything you ever want to be. Uh, Secondly, it's a challenge for me. In fact, I keep comparing myself with my colleagues because I'm based in a faculty of engineering and IT where of every one woman we have six men so like now I'm one HOD versus seven HODs who are wow. men I've got to do almost double the work because I am a family person I have four children <laughs> I have to take them to school that's how I wake up early by the time I get to sit to do my research I am very tired so that is a huge challenge but The South African government recognizes that and gives us sometimes an upper hand, motivates us, gives us more priorities to make sure that we can be seen out there. So the Women in Science Award is an annual event held each year and I was the first recipient of the category called Research and Innovation and that's changed in my whole world and i'm very proud of that and it's opened it more doors for me yeah.
0: yeah i mean you you lost me at you have four children i didn't realize you have four children and you're still doing it. it's just i mean i have three kids and my wife and i you know we share responsibility for those children but man getting out the door in the morning is an impossible task and here you are you know putting together this technology that's incredible what advice would you have for young women who are going to listen to this and you say wow this is here's a woman who's done it right you're brilliant you've got a phd you're innovating you're putting your technology out there and now you're commercializing it right i mean you may have a commercial success here that's to be determined but what are the pieces of advice you'd give them about how you managed to get to where you are
1: first is to believe in themselves That's one thing that has brought me this far. I believe in myself. So they must believe in themselves. No one should put them down. Secondly, they must work hard because nothing comes handed to us in a plate. So working hard, and it's my belief that working hard does not kill anyone. Working hard will just open more and more doors for you. But at the end of the day, I always... Or want them to be themselves they must tell their story because the moment you copycat someone else you cannot take it very far authenticity in what you're doing if you're pursuing biological sciences do it because that's your passion if you're doing human science linguistic everything that you do if it's from your passion you will go very far that's what has brought me this far from my side
0: are you supported by your family still? You said your father. I don't know if you have a partner or has that been a key part of your life?
1: Yes. I'm actually an advocate of, I don't say feminism, but if we don't have support of our spouses, support of our fathers, support of our brothers, support of our sisters, you don't go far. I have a very supportive husband myself. My say is is supporting me up to this far. So they must also seek supports and men should support supporters because without them, we wouldn't excel.
0: Mm. I want to circle back to your to the sort of the research and the technology that you've put out there. You said that you're researching in Mozambique, South Africa and Kenya right now. What kind of area are we talking? Are you covering? Is it thousands of acres or, or hectares? Or, you know, is, are they small plots? And then you know secondarily, so take me through the process of how the research was set up, do you go and you place your sensors, you know, is it one per acre or anything? You know, like what kind of distribution do you have to do in your sensors in order to, you know, get enough data that you can be predictive?
1: Okay. I'm only doing smaller parts at a time. Like in South Africa, we are targeting one place. It's called KwaZulu-Natal. We're working with a small group of farmers. At the moment, there are 220 farmers only because Our solution is bottom-up. We must ensure the coverage is, the network is dense enough to get correct readings. For instance, in a small area of about 10 kilometers squared, we put 10 sensors. So it has to be very dense compared to the professional weather stations. So we will do village after village. So after the KwaZulu Natal in South Africa, we'll go to another place in Limpopo, near Limpopo River. Similarly, in uh, Mozambique, we're only targeting, there we're starting with only 50 farmers in a highly agricultural productive area. In Kenya, the same. We're targeting 500 farmers. So we're starting very small. Then we'll keep increasing our radius. As we move along, and in three years we're targeting to have four thousand farmers. So it's not something huge scale at this moment.
0: No, oh, four thousand farmers is that's a good chunk. That's nice. but and <laughs> that's if you it. if you find a way to have a business model that really picks up, it could scale pretty dramatically. But what I'm hearing you say is that this is a technology that, you know, as you continue to refine it, it's scalable relatively quickly, assuming you have the funding behind it, right?
1: Perfect, yes. If anything, we're thinking as a university, we don't want to spend ourselves very thin. Eventually, we may end up doing a franchise model.
0: Mm, I see. Yeah, yeah so you basically you would release it to distributors or agents, and then you would yes. basically be the management hub. Fantastic. Yeah. What else? You know, I'm trying to think about the ecosystem that you're in right now. You're the head of department there. What other kind of cool or interesting research and technologies are coming out of your department right now?
1: We Attempt to create solutions that address African people's problem. One of the ones that's coming up strongly at the moment is we are using cloud computing to come up with a solution for uh, health, because there's some places in South Africa where we don't have doctors reaching there. So then we've implemented this solution. They can use a mobile phone to record some vital signs. And the doctors can be constantly aware. And then if there's a drastic change in a patient's conditions, then the doctors can go there and save lives. And because of connectivity, again, we are using the same approach to solve the problem of data storage for schools. Some schools are very remote. They don't have their own websites. So we created what we call a cloud-based school system. So they don't have to own any computers. We give them tablets. And they can capture every information about the schools, information, the marks, and so on. And that's working very well with the Department of Education. And we just launched an Internet of Things project. You know, Internet of Things is becoming the talk of the day. It's becoming, and yeah, this one, yeah, sure, it's
0: everywhere now, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But this one we are doing, we have a collaboration with a university in Germany. So we are running, we are the first in South Africa to run courses on Internet of Things. We just want to ensure that when it becomes everyday tool, we have equipped our people with the skill of programming sensors themselves, interpreting the data from the sensors. So those are the main research projects we're doing. But I would do injustice if I don't mention that within the larger faculty where I am, in the country and in the region we are known for 3D printing of human body parts that need to be replaced. So we are doing very well as a unit, And that's a university.
0: You're known for 3D printing of human body parts. You can't put that on the table and not explain (laughs) that more. So are you, I mean, are we talking prosthetics? So, you know, like, uh, or are we talking lungs and kidneys and hearts?
1: No, 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 no. (laughs) Prosthetics. No, 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 no. Not the kidneys yet. Oops. Maybe we'll get there. We're not there yet. I'm pretty sure I saw someone
0: printed a kidney for a a little while back, but... So, Corey, that's interesting. So you're doing custom printing uh, prosthetics for individuals. And is that a model that is starting to be cost-efficient and actually, you know, a viable business? Because I know that 3D printing can be much more expensive than the polyurethane, you know, the sort of standard method for creating prosthetics.
1: It's still expensive, but we're working with the Department of Health to save lives. But apparently, I happen to sit in that committee. They they do make profits, interestingly.
0: That's fantastic. Motoni, I just have two more questions for you. This has been a wonderful conversation and, and, and a true inspiration. It's fantastic. Who do you pay attention to? You know, you have this unique path that you've taken from Kenya now through South Africa through your research. And now, you know, you've received not only this award, but, you know, you're launching this commercial project. Who do you, you know, besides the colleagues that sit around you, do you have news sources or special pieces of inspiration that where you get your ideas from or that motivate you to have these new ideas?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do. I admire people who have achieved a lot in technology. I used to read, and I still read about Steve Jobs. I look at Bill Gates, what he has achieved, and their humble stories of how they started small and became huge. So, And I tell myself that we are not... As African countries, we haven't reached there yet, but we can reach there if we have many of Modonis doing these things. So I work very hard and, I, and ensure that I look, I read a lot. I almost know what's happening in technology all the time, just to keep myself motivated to get there.
0: The last question I have is one I ask everybody on the show, and you've described some of the different technologies that are being implemented in your university. Is there something outside your university, either a technology or a process or what I call a shiny new object that you think is just super cool? Maybe, you know, you don't have to be working on it, but you just think it's really, really cool and it's something that's going to be important for the future that other people should pay attention to?
1: Yes, there's a huge project happening in the Southern Hemisphere. When I say Southern Hemisphere, I mean beyond, it's a project that's involving People beyond Africa, It's they are creating a large telecommunication device, very many satellites. It's called SKA, Square Kilometer Array, that will enable capturing of data of trillions, things we can't count, amount of data about anything in the world, be it medical, be it weather, be it crops, everything. And the good thing is that South Africa is the host of that project. It's phenomenal. It's going to change very many things from me, from Africa to Australia. I would like people to look at that and see how much technology can change the world.
0: Mutoni, this has been a fantastic, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for getting up early to talk to me, and I wish you all the best.
1: Thank you. It was very pleasant to speak to you, Stephen, and thank you for having me again.
0: You've been listening to the Terms of Reference podcast from aidpreneur.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes.